This is Chris from Play Comics, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 215, Tron Legacy Movie Review. Chris McBride along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now this week we're taking a look at the 2010 sequel, Tron Legacy. Uh, But before we get to that, Derek, uh, any uh, pop culture that you've been able to squeeze in over the past week? Yeah, I had a chance to watch three movies which I will classify as the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. But... We're going to save the good because, you know, the other one's kind of got to work your way up. Not to that great. One, right. Yeah. So right, we'll cool. start with the bad, the bad. And I mean, this, <laughs> this is small B bad. The bad was a movie from 1989, a little classic starring Weird Al Yankovic called UHF. <laughs> that movie does suck. <laughs> well, Kramer's in it, isn't he? I remember he that. He is. Michael Richards yeah. has got a big role in it. Yeah. Uh, so I hadn't seen it in a, in a long, like probably 20 years. And I'm a big fan of Weird Al's music, especially the stuff from the 80s and the early 90s. Love them a lot. And um, hey, let's take them and stick them in a movie. (laughs) Yeah, why not? And so it was on the old 80s channel. So I recorded a few weeks ago. I thought, yeah, I'm going to watch this. And it it had its ups and downs. I mean, it is what it is. It's starring Weird Al Yankovic. So, you know, it's not winning any Oscars. (laughs) Uh, But I forgot how of its time it was in the sense that Weird Al being a satirist, uh, and and does parody of pop culture. It's the movie heavily focuses on that aspect of it from the late 80s. So there's a ton of 80s, especially late 80s references, movie references, music references, television references, general pop culture references, which as someone who lived in the 80s, I got it. And a lot of it made me laugh because it hadn't been top of mind since the 80s. But I thought about how the movie holds up or rather how the movie doesn't hold up because mm-hmm. so much of the movie is parody and satire of the pop culture of the time. So not a great movie. Definitely. I would put it in when we come to good, bad, and ugly. That was, that was a bad one. Uh, Can't, can't recommend the rewatch on that unless you're a huge weird Al fan. Uh, The ugly. You may have recalled a while back. I talked about the original movie and now I had a chance to watch the sequel and it's called another wolf cop because (laughs) wolf cop, just wasn't good enough by itself. You needed oh, a sequel man. called Another sequel. Wolf Cop from 2017, a uh, small little Canadian movie. And my wife and I watched it. I said to her the other night, I'm like, let's just watch something off this digital recorder so we can start clearing it off. We're like, fine. And we're cycling through. And she's like, no, no. How about this? I'm like, no, no. And then we find she goes, okay, we're going to watch this Another Wolf Cop. And if it sucks, we're just going to erase it. I'm like, okay. We ended up watching the whole thing. And afterwards, we're like, that was great. Oh, really? Was, you liked it? <laughs> It was exactly what you expect it to be when the movie's called Wolf Cop. Well, you know, yeah. Wolf and Cop 2, no less. Yeah. Well, it's called Another Wolf oh, Cop. Another Wolf Cop. Yeah. Not to be confused with Teen Wolf 2. Yeah, Teen Wolf also. Also. As, yeah, as I like to call it. But uh, anyway, it, it's exactly what you would expect from a movie about a police officer that's a werewolf. And uh, it had a lot of 
I'm going to put quotes around this Canadian celebrities in it. Um, the, I ran the, into them a bunch of them last episode. No kidding. So the main the main villain of the movie is played by the main guy from the Murdoch Mysteries, a show I've never watched, but my wife watched for a little while. She's like, oh, my God, that guy always plays such a nice, clean cut kind of guy. And it was kind of funny to see him as the villain. And cameo from Kevin Smith, because part of the movie was shot in um, Regina, Saskatchewan. And apparently when Kevin Smith was in Regina doing location shoots for his blockbuster film, Moose Jaws, uh, <laughs> he was there. and They convinced him to do a little cameo. So he's in a few scenes. So and it was pre heart attack. So he's actually still pretty heavy in the movie. But it was fun to see him in there. And Gowan, singer of songs such as Strange Animal and now the lead singer for Sticks also has a has a small cameo and of course they had to use the song strange animal during a scene where the wolf cop gets it on with another lycanthropy and there it's this very graphic and hilarious scene of of people having you know wolf sex oh my yeah so in the good bad and ugly category that one falls into ugly definitely not for everyone <laughs> but you but said that, you liked it i actually liked it more oh, than i fully expected to and they said in the sequel in the in the credits they're like you know the wolf cop will return. And I, I read online that they're trying to, to get some money together to make a, a third part of it. So it's obviously got a little bit of a cult following, but anyway, Apparently. we're going to circle back to the good. Mm -hmm. I watched for the very first time, having never, ever seen it previously from 1950 mm. starring Jimmy Stewart, Harvey. Oh God, that movie's fantastic. When they talk about classics and it was on Turner movie classics and you think classic is sort of a, a big term. This movie, absolutely capital C classic. I totally understand and appreciate why you would call this a classic. It was outstanding. 10 out of 10. No question. Highly recommend to anyone who hasn't seen it. I knew a little about it. The whole idea that he's like got an imaginary friend that's a rabbit that nobody else can see. Because, you know, it's referenced so much in other pop culture over sure. the years. Um, but, oh, my God, it was fantastic. It's based on a Pulitzer prize winning play which i had no idea that it had that kind of credentials behind oh, yeah. it yeah. uh jimmy stewart was nominated for an oscar didn't win it's best supporting actress whose name escapes me right now was was uh nominated and won for this film uh it, it's it's super good it it was i mean movies from that age the acting is sort of a different style than what you're used to today which is a little bit odd and the fact that it's adapted from a stage play the movie well, really they were all theater place. actors to begin yeah with. of course yeah so yeah the movie takes place in like three or four key locations uh you know obviously because when it's a stage play you can't have 20 sets built at once but no it was fantastic if you haven't seen harvey from 1950 and you can find it on one of your streamers or on a turner classic movie it is worth your 90 minutes watch it you will be glad you did i was shocked that it took me this long to see it but yeah so that was my good bad and ugly good was harvey bad was uhf and ugly was another wolf cop nice i remember the theater company that i used to work for in niagara falls they had they did a production of harvey you know so that's where i was became familiar with it and watched the movie it was so good um was as for pop culture for me the last week not a whole lot um i was flipping around the tv the other night and have you ever heard of this station called rewind Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It shows like old movies on it. Go figure something I might Well, like. I mean, it shows movies usually from the 80s and yeah. 90s. 
So which um, I guess is old by from today's standard. Well, I guess not for me. Meatballs was on the other night, so I'm flipping around. And I see Meatballs, so of course I watched it. Now it was about three quarters of the way through the movie. Wait, Chris, was, had you ever seen it before? Never seen it before. No, no, I, no. I, I hear the movie's pretty good. That's the know. one about the Italian chef, the pasta maker, right? Of it's course, Meatballs. Uh, yeah, yeah of okay. Course. Just want to make sure we're talking about the same movie. <laughs> so uh, when I turned it on, it was at the part where they have the competition with Camp Mohawk. So I just always oh, so good. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was my youngest son has been just been bugging me to go take him to the movies to go see Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Oh boy. Like the first one wasn't bad enough. I had Did to, you see the first one? Oh yeah, I had to sit through it with him. He was like, oh, I want to get this movie, daddy. And it was like on, I don't know, it was one of the streaming services or something. We watched it. My God, it was, it was like a Yancey movie. You know, it just totally Whoa, whoa, sucked. whoa, whoa, whoa. Some Yancey movies are fantastic. Yeah, well, and some of them suck. And this one, you know, fell into the suck category. Let me tell you. So now I've got to go and see this dumb sequel, you know? And I, so I just keep putting them off. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I keep, I'm hoping it comes out on the streaming services, you know? So that way I can just put it on Netflix and like check the hockey scores, you know, on my phone. I'm a terrible dad. Oh, God. Oh, speaking of which. Here's your dad joke of the week. All right, uh, trying to keep the fact that Tron Legacy is about video games, mm-hmm. right? Movie, movie, video games. I thought I'd do like kind of a related topic for my dad joke this week. Okay, so Derek, why is Super Mario so good at predicting the future? Jeez, I have no idea. He uses his Luigi board. It's a good thing you got more than one life or we would be done this podcast. Uncle Luigi! Just a bit outside. Hey, bartender. Joe Boo needs a refill. You trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Vagisil. I have a giant box of video cassette tapes. Our parents love that movie. I'm like, oh, jeez. And a working VCR. That's all we got? One goddamn hit? Terrible. Play like maze, run like haze. You may run like maze, but you hit like He's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. Okay, so our past few episodes have been focused on pop culture and movies and stuff from 1982. You know, so so Derek, it's your job around here to bring more of the millennial pop culture flavor to the show. So uh, you had me watch the 2010 sequel Tron Legacy. Now, I, I know you said you wanted me to go back and watch the original Tron from 1982, but unfortunately, sorry, I didn't have time to do that. So I hope I can still get through this. Um, I'm, I'm thinking you wanted me to have some sort of context, you know, to watch this sequel. Yeah. So my hope, I mean, I, I knew it was a tall, uh, a tall order to get you to sit through two movies, especially, I, you know, I know if I ask you to watch a newer movie and you're not immediately into it, then it becomes a big chore. But I thought, well, hopefully if you had had time and you could have maybe watched the first one with your kids, because I, I mean, I was a kid when I saw it and uh, or at least for the first time. And, and I think it's it appeals to young kids um, that they would have enjoyed it. It's unfortunate you didn't get to watch it. But I mean, any movie sequel or otherwise should stand on its own. And if it is a sequel, it should at least fill in the blanks enough that you don't feel lost if you haven't seen the one that came before it. Um, and I think uh, Tron Legacy does a pretty decent job of that. There are definitely a lot of callbacks. So I actually made a point of watching the original. I watched the original Monday. 
and then this the sequel on Tuesday. So it was nice and fresh, one day apart. And I, they were both available on Disney Plus through the stream, even though I have both of them on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, I just watched them on the stream where it was easier. And I was actually very pleasantly surprised to see on Disney Plus, it looks like um, Disney did uh, like um, a refresh of the original from 1982. They like beefed up all the, the digital, not like beefed it up and changed it. But you know how with a lot of older movies, they'll essentially clean it up it looks like they really punched up the colors and and sharpened up some of the graphics and it it looked fantastic especially considering it's that old and and some of the stuff is a little hokey or outdated by today's standards but you got to keep in mind how advanced it was for the for its time but i was very pleasantly surprised to see that the the one that's available on disney plus the original tron it was like a digitally remastered kind of thing but not like the george lucas kind of thing where they're going to change big parts of it with the computer it looks like they just cleaned it up and made it like just kind of remastered it yeah like i have a 4k tv and it looked spectacular i've never seen it that good it was (laughs) it was awesome um and then i had a chance to watch tron legacy again i watched it through through uh disney plus and again it, it the 4k came right through and and I, it, it looked spectacular on my TV. I was I had very, very pleasant viewing experiences with those two movies this week. Um, I figure a lot of what you're probably going to say about Tron Legacy is is a lot of style over substance, and and it looks great, but maybe you didn't enjoy it as much. But th- the visuals alone for me were worth the watch, and I, I really really enjoy Tron Legacy. I've seen it, you know, probably more than five, less than ten times, and watching it again this uh, this week for this podcast, especially after watching the original right away, just. I was blown away by how how good I, I thought it was, how good I remembered it being, and how much I enjoyed watching it again. So I, I'm a little curious, but probably not so curious to hear what you had to say, but you know, I what, think there's a lot to talk about here. Like so what makes tell you me think, about your Tron. What makes you think I'm not going to like it? You know, you it, just came out after ni- it came out after 1989, so mm-hmm. I figured that was going to be a big strike against it. But um, honestly, as someone who has studied film, and, and done, uh, you know, when I was in school, I did a lot of like film critiques and, and things of that nature. And I tend to try and watch movies with more of that critical eye. This one, in my mind, I really wish it had been available when I was a student because there are so many different themes going on in this movie that you could write 20 different college level uh, term papers on this following up on different aspects of it you know it's got religious connotation it's got moral questions it's got you know the whole light versus dark the style and the, and the, the the use of light in the film the use of color in the film there's just so much that was that's in here that's more than just what do i see like at face value and for me that that always amps up a movie for me when i can watch it a second third time and sort of start to pick out those little details and enjoy the fact that i can pick out those details that's part of what in my mind makes a movie go from you know good to great or or not so good to 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 good and so i'm kind of hoping i know you have a lot of that same background i'm kind of hoping that that you may have enjoyed it and and maybe because of that because there was so many of these elements going on so anyway now for me what, what did you think of it as a college professor in my spare time when i'm not podcasting of course um, if I was a film professor and you submitted an essay on this movie, I'd probably flunk you. Yeah. So um, I know you wanted me to watch the original first. Uh, I don't know if it would have helped me all that much. I mean, it would. I guess it would give me some context. Maybe I've got like better understand what's going on. I'll probably have a lot of questions throughout this episode. Sure. But I don't know if it would have made a ton of difference. Like f- the thing is for a video game movie and one that should have a ton of action in it. I found this movie to be boring. Okay. I don't know. I just, I mean, I mean, I've never seen the original Tron. 
But the thing was, I did used to play the the, the video game in the arcade, and I, I remember it was it was pretty hard. It had it had this really cool console. I remember it like mm-hmm. the joystick was square and it glowed blue, and then there, there was the the motorbikes. You know, with the light streams. The light cycles. Oh, light cycles. That's what they're called. And there was this tunnel thing where you had to, like, shoot at these colored b- blocks above your head. And there was, I think, a thing with spiders. And I think there was one with tanks as yep. well. But um, so I think it was just the four levels. And then you yep. just kept doing them over and over. They got harder and harder. Usually by, like, speeding up or whatever. So while the video game was pretty cool, like, from what I remember, anyway, um, this sequel was kind of dumb. <laughs> just I, I again I, I can't comment on the original because uh but I would hazard a guess to say it wasn't very good either I mean it doesn't have a huge nostalgic fan base I mean I I think I think people remember the original for like looking really cool but overall when I think of Tron from 1982 I, it kind of reminds me of Escape from New York remember when we did that movie yeah and I commented on that it reminds me of that in the sense that it's just this old movie that no one really liked all that much in the first place. I'm sure there's some diehard fans out there. I mean, there always is. But it's just not this hugely popular movie kind of overall. So that being said, why do you think they made a sequel? It's not like people were screaming for a Tron sequel back in 2010, were they? I think there's always been a desire to um, take the groundbreaking technology that they used for 1982's film, which was cutting edge at the time, and bring that forward with the advancements in technology and say like, well, this is what we did at the time with the tools we had. Here's what we're going to do now with the tools that are available 30 years later. And from my understanding is that the the idea of the Tron sequel had been kicking around for quite some time and, and there was a lot of issues as to why it wasn't made sooner. But, um, you know, I was I was happy to see this. I, I think it definitely tried to lean on that nostalgia factor to, to get people into the theater. But I also just think that, um, you know, they they got a good cast together and it was an interesting concept of of a real person going in inside the computer, inside of this artificial um, you know, video game world and, and to see where it's going to go. And the, this is one of those movies. Normally I don't watch trailers, but this is one of those movies. When I saw the first trailer, I was just blown away. And and I remember that being a big part of, of the, the ad campaigns for this was, you know, you may not know you wanted to see the sequel, but look at how slick this looks. And uh, yeah, I was all in, I saw it in the theater and I loved it. I don't know. I just, I think like these Hollywood types, it's almost like, I know, Let's make a sequel that no one's asking for based on a movie that bombed back in 1982 and doesn't even have a cult following. Well, that sounds like a good idea. Well, I, I don't think that's necessarily a first statement here. I uh, don't maybe. think you can say that, that, that no one wanted it, and I don't think you can say that it doesn't have a cult following, but um, I, I get where you're coming from. So the movie stars Jeff Bridges and Jeff Bridges and Jeff Bridges. So it was made for a budget of $170 million. It it just made back its budget domestically. Now, it did end up making money on the worldwide box office receipts, but yep. it finished 20th overall uh, at the year in the U.S. box office. It was, it was outgrossed, by the way, by such luminaries as The Other Guys, Shutter Island, and Salt. Now, Those were all good movies. I haven't heard of any of them. Salt so. was actually just on TV this week. My wife was watching it again. She really likes that so one. By the way, looking at the list of movies from 2010, another banner year for Hollywood. 
sequel after sequel after sequel. There's Toy Story 3, Iron Man 2, Harry Potter, Twilight, Shrek Forever After, and then this stupid movie. And the movies that weren't sequels that year were remakes. There's The Karate Kid, Clash of the Titans, A Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, I, I, it's no wonder I like Gen X movies so much because they didn't suck. You know, no, no, get off my long, you dumb kids. <laughs> I, I got news for you, buddy. This movie didn't suck either. Oh, man. Um, well, one thing I will say that I thought was cool when the movie opened up, I actually had some high hopes because they show when they show the Disney logo at the beginning, it's the Disney castle at the Magic Kingdom, you know, and the castle's all glowing blue, like in the style of Tron, which I thought was pretty cool, mm-hmm. you know, but then things just kind of went downhill from there. Like, there's the shot of the city skyline, and it's CGI'd. Like, ugh, man. And then, and the movie opens up in 1989 with uh, Jeff Bridges, but he's CGI'd, like, to make him look, like, younger, you know, like mm-hmm. it's 1989. But it, to me, it, it comes off like, like Grand Moff Tarkin and Princess Leia and Rogue One. You know, like it's all like this fake and crappy CGI. And then they, they try and fool you by like keeping him in the shadows. And he's like behind the window frame and all that. But for me, it just, it took me out of the movie right, it, right away. I don't know. But I'm a crotchy old man. So what the hell do I Well, I, I didn't have any issues with it. And I didn't have any issues with the people in Rogue One either. I thought that it, it did exactly what it needs to. I was fine with it. Oh, I thought it looked like crap. Um, oh, when the movie opened up too, there's the grandparents. Did you recognize them by any chance? The actors? Well, I know the guy who was the grandfather. He was on the the remake of Battlestar Galactica as a crotchy old doctor. But I know he's a big Canadian actor. I don't know where else he's from. They're both Canadian actors. And they're both from Winnipeg. So the grandfather, his name was Donnelly Rhodes. He was Doc Roberts from Danger Bay. Sure. You never watched Danger Bay, the Canadian show? No. I'm, oh. I'm aware of it, but I never watched it. And then, But he was on uh, Battlestar Galactica, the remake. And then Belinda Montgomery played the, um, played the grandmother. She was Doogie Howser's mom. Oh yeah, yeah. So I just, I recognize those those two actors right away. I thought it was good. Um, I have a question for you. So the original film again. I'm gonna have lots of questions because I sure. didn't have the chance to watch the original. In the original from 1982, does the whole movie take place inside the computer with the blue lights, or are there no, about, scenes in about, real life? About half of it. Oh, only about half of it. Oh wow. Because it's like this. It's it's the the first part is set up, and then uh, the guy in the first one, the guy uh, is brought into the computer against his will. And like then it's about him trying to escape, and then whereas in this one um, he inadvertently puts himself into the into the world. Hmm. So he the kid he goes into this this old arcade or like this old warehouse with arcade games and whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Um, which by the way, if I had that, I would never come out of that place ever. Yeah. And that's so that that location is right out of the first movie. They recreated the uh, set in in its entirety. By the way, I, I I do have an arcade game in my basement, thanks to the good folks over at Digital Leisure in Toronto. And the thing nice. is that you can add games to it. By the way, I just added Matt Mania. It's a wrestling game. I was I used say, to say, is it a wrestling it. game? Yes, I used to play it every day at lunch when I was in high school. And uh, my kids actually like playing it too. The high score we got the game. The high score, like the generic high score, when you get it, is thirty five thousand. And I beat it with 167,000. I still haven't lost the touch, I tell you. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so in the in the arcade in this movie, they're playing these old 80s tunes. Like yeah. Journey and like Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics. Yeah. It felt forced. It felt like they're trying to be all nostalgic. But 
Okay, so again, those were both used in the original. Again, it's that they're I just figured. leaning on the the familiarity if you are aware of it. But the thing is, though, like Tron the original wasn't all about the eighties, though. It was about like these glowing blue guys in a computer, right? So, so but it was about the eighties because it took place in the eighties, and it was about the the video game revolution. I guess. But if you um, have, yeah. I have a question about this this computer world. So is it just a, like some computer world where? you have to go and like do battles to stay alive because because at the beginning CGI Jeff Bridges he, he says he created a world where information is free and then he's like you know but it seemed to me like it was just like from the original at least based on the arcade game I used to play it's a world where you just fight battles on like speeder bikes you know with no. like coming out of the back end no and as he says in this movie you know later on when they when they meet uh the, the real Flynn, as he says, Clue doesn't have the ability to create programs. He has to, um, he can destroy them or he can um, take them over and, and repurpose them. So it seemed to me like the games was was the best way for him to, uh, to get rid of programs he didn't want or find ones that were strong enough to be reappropriated into something more useful for to suit his purposes. I know you're not a big video game guy, but I got a question for you. Do you know, is there a new video game for, for this new movie? Like, I have like, no idea. Like I'm sure said, there it, is, but uh, if there is, I have, I am not familiar with it. Yeah, because like I said, in 82, there was that arcade game, you know? And I, I, I know arcades don't exist anymore, but, uh, oh man, kids these days are missing out. <laughs> Going to the arcade was so cool. Um, okay, so in this movie, the, the, the kid goes to the computer world and he meets young CGI Jeff Bridges. Yes. And... At this point, it's almost like CGI rotoscoping, you know, like it's like him, but they use like CGI to enhance him and, and change his appearance. So I don't know the bikes. I want to ask you about the bikes, too, with the light coming out the back end. Would you would you would you call them again? Like light? light cycle, light cycle. The thing was, I noticed is they're on different levels. And I guess maybe that's the twist now, because they used to always be on the same flat surface, at least in the video game. That I used to play. Yeah, and, and you I, had to I try think, and cut the, cut off the bad guy and like make him crash, you know. But yeah, I think I think in right? 1982 that was a limitation of the technology. So again, oh, with yeah. the new tech, it's like let's show it off. And, and then and the floor was transparent, so you could actually see down to the lower level. Oh, right, right. So then he he the kid goes up like a mountain with a girl, and he meets old Jeff Bridges, like like nowadays like beard old guy Jeff Bridges, like as a, as opposed to Grand Moff Tarkin and you know, Jeff Bridges. But the thing is, okay, so I'm going to go back to this. This CGI Jeff Bridges doesn't even look like Jeff Bridges. He looks like Chris Pratt. Isn't that the guy's name? That, what was yeah. that, the, the movie you made me watch where he wakes up J-Law in space? Yeah, that was uh, Passengers. Yeah, that, 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 that is who CGI Jeff Bridges looks like in my mind when I watch this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't think so, but again, you're entitled to your opinion. So I know you wanted me to watch the original you know, first before I got there. But what, what I have gotten out of this movie, watching that one, because I don't think it would help. I think it would just maybe hate me, make me, make me hate this movie more. I don't know. What, no, I just think what am I missing pro- out on by not seeing No, I think it would have just provided a little more context of, of sort of seeing mm-hmm. this is where it was, this is where it was. And this is where it is. Like you would, you would get a greater sense of how much of a step forward this was from the old one by seeing both of them back to back. One thing I noticed when people get killed in this world, they shatter into a million crystal pieces. 
Did yeah. that happen in the original too? Uh, they just sort of phased out. Oh, Again, okay. it was a limitation of the technology. Technology and uh, the yeah. CGI and stuff. No word of a lie. At one point, my wife comes in. Luckily, she was in the other room watching something else. Like maybe like Yellowstone. Remember the <laughs> show? <laughs> so anyway, so she comes in. She's like, oh, you're watching. What's this movie all about? It was an hour and 23 minutes into it. And I didn't have an answer for her. I didn't understand what was happening at all. Now, I'm going to be honest, full disclosure. I was so colossally bored that I was just checking the hockey scores. So I got to be honest, this was the closest that I've come so far to turning off a movie for this podcast. Wow. I got close in the past. We watched um, The Lobster and I remember Moon in Interstellar. There's been a few movies I've, I've been subjected to here. I almost turned off, but this was probably the closest. I literally had my hand on the remote and I was, it, it was like, um, it was like Greg when, when he was on the show last week, he's like, there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. And he's like, turn it off. This sucks. It was like, Chris, if you turn this off, Derek will be so disappointed. He'll never forgive you. <laughs> Remember that scene in animal house with the animal or the, the angel and the, the devil. That was the best ever. <laughs> I just keep going back to my my old movies. Um, oh, I have a question for you. The big kind of black and red spaceship thing, it looked like, it reminded me of like a ripoff of Disney's The Black Hole. Wasn't there like a big robot in that movie that just looked like that thing? I, I don't remember, but uh, this one is a, an updated version of the one from the original movie that just it's slicker. The shape of the color is exactly the same. Because it just, it totally reminded me of that, that black hole creature. I was, I thought maybe Disney was doing like a crossover, you know, or something. It worked for the Avengers, you know. Mm -hmm. This, this whole movie confused me. So near the end, the sun goes and stands in the light beam and holds his hands up. That's the, the image from the original movie poster. If I yeah. from 82. And, for, right? and the poster for this one, the two posters, I'm actually got them up on my screen here. Looking they're, at they're them side by similar. side. They're very similar. Uh, yeah. Again, so, when you're marketing a movie, you want to play on what's familiar. So they, you know, they set it up to to remind people of the original. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it had some sort of significance. I mean, God knows what it was, but I'm sure it meant to reference something. Like what what was going on there? Well, that was the they talked about how that was the input output tower. How that was that represented that beam of light represented how information was getting in and out of the computer. Um, so that was basically how he got out. I guess my my thing is, for one of these big, splashy CGI movies, nothing really happens. What did you expect to happen? I don't know. Like, it sounds to me like you had completely unrealistic expectations of what you were getting into. Well, and when it didn't meet those expectations, you said, this is dumb. It's no, like I, watching a movie and going, I think this is going to be a comedy. And it's a sad drama. And you're like, Schindler's <laughs> List is the worst movie ever. I didn't laugh at all. And I, I expected this to be a comedy. Well, that doesn't mean the movie's not good. It meant that you went into it with the wrong mindset. And then when you're like, well, if they don't laugh soon, I'm going to start playing on my phone. Well, I didn't hear any funny dialogue. So I, I this movie's terrible. And it's like, you got to really pay attention to what's going on. You got to try and go into these with a little bit more of an open mind. I think, I guess... You know, my, the frame of reference that I had going into it was the video game that I used to play on the arcade back in the day. And there was like a lot of like cool stuff going on in the video game. So I guess I expected like something of action to be in this movie or something. I don't know. Um, and then at the end, the, that kid, he goes back to like modern times after he goes up in that, what do you call it? That light beam? 
Yeah, it's an input-output tower. So okay, was, he goes back and he and he's a, he's with a girl on a motorcycle, and even the city is CGI. I was just like, oh man. But he says to really? him, like, I mean, I didn't even notice that. If it was CGI, it was good enough that it fooled me. I don't know. I noticed it. It, it jumped out to me. And then he's he's like, I want to show, or she, or she says, or something. I want to show you something. And they ride on the motorcycle for a bit, and then the credits start to roll. And yeah. On he one wanted hand, to show her the sunrise. She had said she'd never seen the sun. So he's like, I want to show you something. He was bringing her where she could see the sunrise. Oh, because I was like. Started yeah. looking up at the sun and closing her eyes like, oh, my God, like I can feel the warmth on my face. Yeah, I guess on one hand, I was like confused. But then on the other hand, I was like so happy it was over. So, so then I could check the hockey scores without, you know, without this movie interrupting me. So I don't know. I just I didn't understand it. Like I didn't understand what was going on. I was like. You know, the end of the movie came and I was like, what's this final scene about? What did I miss? What's he going to show her? Like, what did I get? What could I have done with, two, you know, two hours of my life other than this? I had a lot of questions on it. So. Well, I, I like this movie a lot. I think it's visually spectacular. The the way that they've they've played with the light and the shapes. Uh, there was a little documentary on the uh, Disney Plus where they they talked to the, the production people and they were saying how the director of this movie before he became a movie director was an architect and how that helped him visualize what he wanted in a certain way. And when they when they spoke to the design team that actually built the sets and, and came up with the computer generated things, they said like it was interesting to have a director who came with certain ideas and a certain view of how, like a certain perspective on things that they were not used to getting from a movie director. And they felt that that really helped shape the movie, both figuratively and literally. And like that was part of what, but I love so much watching this again this week. It's just, it's so visually stunning. I remember when we did um, Ready Player One, you said, well, there was, you know, a lot of style, not a lot of substance, and there was a lot of computer-generated stuff, and it was just like, you know, done for the sake of being done. And I that sort of rang in the back of my mind is, oh, is Chris going to have that same kind of criticism? But if this, to me, is was 10 times better than that, just the way it looked. And, and um, I wanted to talk to you about the music. Okay. So... The score for this was done by the 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 new wave band. We call them new wave Daft Punk. Oh yes. So this I didn't is know that. The, I like Daft Punk. So they were actually in the movie. There's a scene where they go into the end of line club, and uh, when they're going up the stairs, he says something like, uh, "Let's change the mood in here for a while." And it cuts to the scene of there's two guys wearing like stormtrooper style helmets behind a glass. That's the Daft Punk, the two guys, because they always have those stylized helmets on when they make public appearances. So it just fit perfectly into the Tron world. Like they were the DJs in that. They scene. were the DJs. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I the, the, the score for this was done by Daft Punk. It definitely, if you know that and you're familiar with their work, there's no mistaking it. It's it, their style is super distinct. Um, after I saw the movie in the theater, I immediately went out and bought the school, the soundtrack, which is like the, the musical score the the just the style of it was it, it it was just the perfect music for the visual i thought that the visuals and the and the audio just meshed so well together um and, when and i again, was when i was a dj i used to always play a song by them called one more time yeah back in the 90s like it was pretty popular and then they had an, a, a song called da funk i think it was yep. and the video was like a guy wearing this like dog the dog suit mask. yeah yeah i remember that and um they also they, did around the world. Yeah, they have they have really good and creative yeah. videos. I remember Yancey yeah, talking about around the world being one of his favorite music videos of all mm -hmm. time. So so that that I think really added to it. Just the they had they were 
The vibe that they created with the audio, I felt really helped set the tone and set the mood. The light, the use of light, the use of light and dark, the use of the red contrasted against the whitish blue. Um, one of the things that I don't necessarily know if they were, they explained it clearly enough in the sequel, but from the original was, um, like part of the premise of the original is the computer world, there was the master control program. And it was basically a computer virus, an intelligent computer virus that would co-opt other programs to make itself stronger and smarter. And anytime the master control program uh, took over another system, it, it became that red light. And anything that was free and not under the immediate control of the master control program was blue in the original ones. And so in this one, they've carried forward that theme of the color, but they didn't really explain that. I mean, it's pretty clear that the reds are the bad guys and the whites are the good guys. But that that was something that they they carried forward from the original movie. The idea that um, Clue representing the villain uh, has his idea. And as he takes control of things and as he as he, um, you know, co-ops these programs, uh, they the you know, the ones that are represented by people, they go from being white to being red as they are sort of brought into the fold. And I'm sure there's all sorts of symbology around the color schemes and such. But again, it's the visual, the visual aspects, the colors, it's, it's the, the, the idea of the good versus evil, the light versus dark. Uh, in this case, it's the red versus white. And it's, and there's like, there's so many like biblical allegories going on here around, you know, the, 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 he's the creator and they literally worship him. And, and this is the son of the creator. This is the second that you have the, the son that was cast out in clue, who's just trying to strive to, to do the best, you know, he's, he's the ruler in hell. He's like a devil figure. Whereas, uh, you know, Jeff, uh, Jeff Bridges, character is like the, the God figure. And then the, and the son, you know, this is his only son comes in to save the world. And, um, you know, it's there's a lot of this sort of religious allegory uh, going on in this movie if you if you dig deep, which is part of why I was so uh, um, why I thought about the idea of if this if I was a college student, I could write 20 different papers about this because there's just so many different things you can latch on to 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 analyze from that from that critical point of view. But it's unfortunate so, you didn't pick up on most yeah. of that or that you didn't care for it. So maybe I wouldn't flunk you. If you had it in that essay, that sounds well, all right. Um, again, I'm not having seen the original, but I've seen like lots of images from the original. And one of the things was like, it really seems stylistic. The one from 82. And yes, the special effects are not as good back then or whatever. I argue that they're better back then, but you know, they're not the same. But the, the thing is it really, the old movie really popped, you know, like with the, the blue costumes and lights mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Whereas I found this one, it didn't really pop as much. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't a, as much blue light. It was more gray or I don't know. But it's just I, yeah. I feel like the, the imagery I have in my mind of the original film doesn't add up here. It's like it doesn't it, it, it just doesn't capture as much of the original as I wanted it to. Well, and I think that's part of the point of it, though, is that it's it represents in this in this artificial computer generated world. It's been running on a completely um, self-contained system like it's it's clearly not connected to the Internet because it's from the late 80s. And this is the idea is, well, what would have happened if you had generated this computer program, this computer world in the late 80s and you had left it? for 20 years to just evolve on its own. And this is what it's come up with. So yeah, it's, it's that dark, that bleak, the, the rain, the mist. It's like, it's not an idealized 
perfect, sunny, bright, everything. It's those muted tones and muted colors to represent the 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 conflict that's happening and the uncertainty and the chaos that's going on. And Jeff Bridges' character refers to chaos in a number of scenes where in his dialogue and he talks about, you know, sometimes making a choice versus not making a choice or or removing yourself from the equation by not participating in the conflict. Like these are all interesting concepts that are are really work like they're in this movie if you look for them and um Again, that's part of what I love about this because I've seen it a lot of times. I can really get something new out of it every time I watch it. So I'm just trying to do some quick math here. I'm trying to figure this out. So the original movie happened in 1982, mm-hmm. and this movie opens up in 1989. Yes. If I remember correctly. And so when you've got, like, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin, Jeff Bridges going on there. And so he's there with his kid. And then, but this movie came out in 2010. 2010. Yep. So we're talking. 28 years from the original yeah yeah that sounds right yes 28 years so but the kid looked like he was like i don't know 19 so how does how does that add up well i think he was supposed to be older than that he talks about how he dropped out of college and he's been doing things so i think he's supposed to be in his like early to mid 20s like maybe 23 24 25 ish and i think that at the beginning the actor that played the young Sam, I think, is probably older than the character was supposed to be. Like, I always got the sense that the because in 1982's film, Kevin Flynn is not married, doesn't seem to have a girlfriend, doesn't seem to have any children, doesn't seem to have any responsibility in any way that would imply that he is a parent. So my guess would be that between 1982, when the when the first movie came out and the events of the first movie occurred, and 1989, when we see this kid, like the kid was supposed to be born somewhere in that window. So let's say he was even born at the beginning of 84. That still only would have put him five or six years old in that scene. I think the actor, the, the child actor in that scene was probably closer to 10. So I, I think that might be why it sort of threw you a bit. That, that's mm-hmm. sort of threw me the first time I saw it, too. I'm like, how much time is supposed to have passed here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so one thing that I often rail against with the, with these movies compared to the old movies is the rewatchability factor. So I always think that Gen X movies, you can watch them over and over and over again and not having seen the original, but I'm assuming you could probably watch it more than once. This one just again is another newer movie, a millennial film that doesn't strike me as being imminently rewatchable, but you've watched it more than once. Obviously I was going to say, I got to disagree with you uh, tremendously on that statement. I think this movie is, immensely rewatchable if for no other reason than just the visual aspects and the music from Daft Punk whether you're not really into the the story or you're not really think that the performances are as good as they could be which I think the the story's great I think the performances are great but visually it's stunning and I think if you actually sat down and watched it a second time you would probably pick up visual aspects you missed the first time through and I think for some of the things I was just talking about there are a lot of really strong themes that run through this movie. And if you have seen it once and sort of know where it's going, you're going to pick up on those a lot more clearly the second and third time through. And you're going to find all it's, it's like a movie like the sixth sense where there's the big dun, 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 here's the reveal at the end. And then when you watch it a second time and you're like, Oh my God, all the clues are right there. But if you don't know where it's going, you don't necessarily pick up on them in the same way. Not that this movie I think is as good as the sixth sense, but and not that it has that kind of oh my god this is how it ended kind of surprise ending because it doesn't there's no real surprise on how this ends it's disney you know how it's going to end but 
once you sort of know where the story goes and you watch it a second time, there is definitely a lot of value in that second watch. So I think this movie is immensely rewatchable. I have three questions for you to kind of wrap things up with. Sure. So the first one is, so you mentioned rewatchability. Which one do you think is more rewatchable? This the 1982 one. original or no, this the, one? This one. This one. I think the number. I think the 1982 original. You watch it once, uh, especially if you've never seen it before. You watch it once and you go, "Oh, okay, I can see what they were doing." But I don't think you would want to go back and watch it again because you're like, "I've seen it. I've done it. I get where it's going." But where this one, I think there's just so much more going on. Um, this one, my answer would be this one for sure. So that probably ties into my second question, which is, which one have you seen more times? Oh, this one for sure. This the first, the original, I probably seen. Oh, I don't think I've seen it more than five times. I think five is probably about right. I think this week I would say was my fifth time. But this for this sequel, I would say, like I think I said at the beginning, between five and ten, but probably closer to ten. And there's definitely sequences that I have watched. Like I actually had, uh, you know, ten or twelve movies on my phone for a long time. I just kept forgetting to delete them. And I can remember a couple of times on the subway ride home, I'd be like, well, I got 20 minutes till my stop. And I knew I had Tron Legacy was one of those 12 movies. And I'd be like, I'm going to watch the sequence where they're doing the motorcycle. They were doing the light cycle races because it's about a 10 minute sequence or, you know, or I'd find a sequence of the movie that I thought, oh, this is a neat one where I can just, you know, enjoy the visuals. So start to finish, I've definitely seen the second one more. And I've definitely seen more of sort of the rewatchable bits way more. And then I guess the last question that I have for you before we wrap up, are they planning on making another one? It's Hollywood. They probably are. Well, they're, yes and no. So they were originally planning to make a sequel to this almost immediately. It was partly based on how well this one did financially. And as you said off the top, it sort of broke even in North America and then did it made more money overseas, which is mm -hmm. usually the way a lot of these movies work. But apparently there was some sort of contract behind the scenes where Disney had another movie that was coming out around this time. I think it came out six months later and it had George Clooney in it. I think it was called Tomorrowland, if I remember correctly. Uh, it's a Disney one. And the fate of, of that movie was closely tied to this movie where it was sort of a package deal where they were like, if this one breaks even and the other one breaks even, then we'll go ahead and make a trans a tr part three. And that, that Clooney one flunked big time. It was a huge flop. It was a ridiculously expensive movie that, that failed miserably. I, I watched it years later and it was awful. And because it didn't do what they needed it to do financially, there was they were like, well, that discretionary money that we were going to use to make Tron 3, pfft, forget it. We're going to make something else. Now, I have been reading that there is still a desire to do a third part based on the, the story that's been established at the end of this. Whether or not they get around to doing it anytime soon, I don't know. Because if you recall in this one, in one of the very first scenes in the boardroom, they have Killian Murphy uh, is in it for like two minutes. And he, at the time, was a pretty big actor. And he's gone on to do, he's the main guy in Peaky Blinders, and he's been in a lot of good movies. He was in the Batman movies with Christopher Nolan directed. So, like, he's he's got a pretty reasonable resume, and he's a very talented actor. So I think the intent was to have him be a big player in the third part. Well, it's been 12 years. I don't know if he's necessarily the guy they're going to want to bring back. And same with these uh, these actors that are in it. Like, Jeff Bridges is not getting any younger if you want to bring him back. Olivia Wilde's now doing a lot of directing, so I don't know if she'd want to be a performer. And the kid who played Sam Flynn, like, I don't think I've seen him in anything else other than this. So, you know, again, it's it's unfortunate sometimes the circumstances of timing. I would hate to think that they would just straight up reboot it from scratch, but 
if there's money to be made on a franchise, yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes <laughs> so. they're like, well, this is the easier way to do it. They just recast everybody and away you go. But mm-hmm. All right. So on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. Derek, it's time to play a little game that we have around here that I like to call Pick the Flick. Pick the Flick. synopsis then pick the flick you get the year pick the flick so as per the rules of the game as you could tell in the song i'm going to give you the year and the synopsis and then you just have to guess the title or should i say pick the flick (laughs) okay (laughs) so the common thread all the movies this week have to do with video games oh boy okay Right. I know you're not a big video game guy, but uh, I think you can probably do. pretty. There, well. there was a lot of terrible movies made off of video game IP. So I think yeah. you're going to do pretty good on these ones. Okay? OK, I've tried to keep it simple for you. OK, so 1984, a local high school student finds himself transported to another planet after conquering a video game only to find out it was just a test. He was recruited to join a team to defend their world from an attack. Is this uh, the one we did on our podcast not too long ago? The last Starfighter? Sure was. Congratulations. Okay. 2018. Right up your alley. When the creator of a virtual reality called Oasis dies, he makes a posthumous challenge to all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune and control of his world. Yep, we just talked about this. Ready Player One. Told you you were going to do good. Okay, 1993. Two Brooklyn plumbers must travel to another dimension to rescue a princess from the evil dictator King Koopa. And stop him from taking over the world. Yeah. It goes back to your very lame dad joke. Super Mario Brothers. I, I, just, I tie everything in, you know, to make your life easy. Okay. 2001. A video game adventurer comes to life in a movie where she races against time and villains to recover powerful ancient artifacts. What was the year again? 2001. 2001. She. Wow. That doesn't even sound familiar. I have no idea. It's Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. Oh, sure. Okay. 1995. Three unknowing martial artists are summoned to a mysterious island to compete in a tournament whose outcome will decide the fate of of the world. Uh, was that uh, Mortal Kombat? Sure was. Congratulations. All right, 1994. Colonel Guile and various other martial arts heroes fight against the tyranny of dictator M. Bison and his cohorts. Jeez. I don't know. That sounds like a blockbuster special, believe me, but no, it doesn't sound familiar. Street Fighter. Oh, sure. Whatever. Okay, here's one. 2021. A bank teller discovers that he's actually an NPC 
inside a brutal open world video game. Yeah, I just watched this again a couple of weeks ago. Free Guy. Yeah, starring your boyfriend. Yeah. You know. Have you seen it yet? It was really good. I, well, my it. kids were watching and I watched part of it. It was it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Ryan Reynolds playing Ryan Reynolds, of course. Yep. But okay, 2010, same year as this movie. Okay, in a magically realistic version of Toronto, a young man must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes one by one in order to win her heart. Right. This was um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I actually went to see that movie in the theater and I thought it was quite good. It was quite I, I don't remember it that well. I, I remember it had a really big cast and mm-hmm. it was based on a very popular comic book series. But uh, of all guys to play the part, that guy was just great. OK, 2008. These are, last ones are getting a little bit harder. 2008, coming together to solve a series of murders in New York City are a police detective and an assassin who will be hunted by the police, the mob, and a ruthless corporation. Wow. It almost sounds like Batman. I don't know. Max Payne. Sure. Never heard of it. All right, 1999, Blair a fighter pilot joins an interstellar war to fight the evil Kilrathi who are trying to destroy the universe. Jeez. I've never, I have no idea. I've never even heard of this wing commander. Oh yeah. Okay. I've heard, I remember the video games when I was at university, one of my roommates was like playing wing commander nonstop. All right. Last one. 2022, when the main, when the manic Dr. Robotnik returns to earth with a new ally, Knuckles the Enchidna, this lead character and his new friend, Tails, is all that stands in their way. Jeez. Um, oh, is it the stupid one you were talking about at the beginning? The, the Sonic 2, Sonic the Hedgehog Part 2? <laughs> it's the one I keep putting off from taking my son to go see. Uh, I am the worst dad ever. I, I was going to say Detective Pikachu, but I know that came out a couple of years ago. Oh, so. man, I am the worst dad. Okay, so next episode, Derek. So it's time for another pop culture fantasy draft. Oh, I like those. Those are fun. Uh, so it's your turn to pick a year from the 80s. Now, so far, we have done 1981, 82, 84, 85, and 89. So uh, which of the remaining years do you want to draft from? All right. I, I I am a firm believer that whoever gets the number one pick for most of these drafts has got a heavy favoritism here. And so I figure, you know what? Let's just lean right into that. I want to go with a year where the number one movie should just cement the victory no matter who does what. And I'm going with 1980 because someone's getting wow. Empire Strikes Back and it's going to be me. I need that first pick, buddy. Going right all 1980. the way back to 1980. What's your, yep. You're more like the later 80s guy. So this should be yep. interesting. You're right. You know, when you think of 1980, it's like the Empire Strikes Back. If you get first pick overall, you're taking Empire Strikes Back. No if question. you don't take it, you're just shooting you're yourself just in the foot. And I think whoever like, gets the second pick is is going to be so he's going to be coming from a position of of. Uh, you know they're gonna be they're gonna just have so much against them they're gonna be mm-hmm. fighting uphill. But I mean, 
luck of the luck of the flip, luck of yeah. the draw. It'll be interesting to see. I, I'll be interesting to see whoever gets the first pick has taken Empire Strikes Back, no question. Oh, for sure. But it'll be interesting to see if the other person can come back from that and kind of, you know, oh, I think they can. I, it'll be interesting to see. We're going to find out because I, uh, I haven't been able to on three other drafts behind Ghostbusters, E.T. and Back to the Future. Well, that that's on you. You know, Ghostbusters was on me. That was the very yeah. first one. But uh, so next week we're going to come back and, and we're going to draft a team from 1980, which is going to be comprised of three movies, three TV shows, three songs and one personal pick from that year. That should be a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. make sure you come back and join us for that. And so until then, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself, our producer Sloth and Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.